Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All America Spook Hello and welcome to another edition of the All American Spook Show podcast. I'm Josh. I'm joined here with Will. Hey, hey. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? Uh, Donnie could not make it. He is on assignment, and it's unfortunate because this is the movie that he picked. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Fly from 1986. And uh, it seems like this kind of thing has happened before, where you know, one of us, you know, on our rotation, will pick the movie, and then we can't make it. So, unfortunately, he, he is not here, but uh, he did leave us his thoughts and uh, for the movie, and we'll play those later on when we're... You know, doing our star ratings and everything, and he even he even gave us his uh, crypt connections. So you're stuck with the original crew. This is this is the old guard, the OG, <laughs> the OG Spook Show. Anyway, to kick those whippersnappers off. Yeah. <laughs> even though he's the same age as us, <laughs> at this point he's been on uh, as many episodes as we had before he came on. <laughs> And let's be honest, since I'm not uh, on during the middle of the week, he's probably been on more episodes yeah. than I have altogether. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, it might be it might be closed. So, anyways, I'll go ahead and toss out the usual information before we get started. You can contact us at allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the Slasher app, TikTok. Uh, there's a link tree link down in the show notes to take you to all those things. Plus, our YouTube channel. We have our new series that we just debuted, Grindhouse Gutter. Uh, Smoke, I know you've been having a well. We've all had a good time with that one, but I think this is especially right in your wheelhouse, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's Grindhouse Films are something I've been watching ever since I was probably way too young to watch them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love, I love them, man, no matter what genre it is. And we'll have all kinds of genres on there eventually. Like so far, I think there's been two different genres and I'll probably keep going a little while before I get back around to repeating genres. Yeah, but we, there are plenty of different avenues to go down. So yeah. We we'll started, go down we started that with uh, cannibal Holocaust. That's out over on our YouTube channel. Now, hopefully over on our YouTube channel right now should be the second episode. And that's where you talked about, uh, the five fingers of death, the, the classic, uh, Kung Fu flick from, uh, what was that, 1972, I believe? Yeah, 72. Well, it came out over there in Hong Kong, 72, and it deba- debuted in America in the Grindhouse, and I guess drive-in circuit, certain drive-ins in uh, 73. And then the next one uh, coming up within the next couple weeks over on our YouTube channel, we're going to be talking about 1990, The Bronx Warrior. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun one. I, I encourage everyone to go ahead and, if you, if you can. It is playing on the Full Moon subscription series, Pluto TV, Voodoo, uh, Voodoo, Voodoo, that's free. So like, <laughs> I mixed up Voodoo and Pluto. Voodoo. So it's playing on Voodoo and Pluto. Yeah, Voodoo and Pluto TV, and also on the Full Moon uh, subscription. That's what we got cooking over on Grindhouse Gutter. So you want to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel for all that stuff. Got some cool stuff going on there, and we're gonna have some other series eventually debuting slowly but surely over on YouTube. But for now, that's kind of the main attraction. And over on our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/AASpookShow. The main attraction there is every month we have Crapster Peace Theater, and we also have the Library of the Professor segments 
Uh, tons of that in the archives there. Tons of new stuff coming. So uh, lots to look forward to and lots to do over on patreon.com slash Show. So uh, we encourage you to become a patron of the show. And of course, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you listen to us. You can also uh, listen to the episodes over on our YouTube channel as well. So no excuse to not involve yourself in the Spook Show universe of of creativity. Lots of things going on. All right, so I guess with all that out of the way, we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for The Fly. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yep, they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. weird hairs that were growing out of your back I had them analyzed but they were definitely not human if you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person too when you saw her socially no you're afraid to be destroyed and recreated aren't you you're changing Seth everything about you is changing oh no what's happening to me am I dying I want to know what's going on what does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. there we go that's the trailer for the fly so i guess we'll go ahead and get into some of the background information now this movie was released august 15th 1986 by brooks films and slm production group and it was distributed by 20th century fox it's rated r total runtime of one hour 36 minutes on imdb it's listed as a drama slash horror slash sci-fi and it was filmed around the the toronto ontario canada area i say around because it was most of it was in Toronto, but there were some, uh, you know, some other smaller towns around Toronto in Ontario there that they, uh, you know, filmed the movie at. But uh, from December 1st of 1985 to February 28th of 1986 for a budget of, best I could tell, somewhere between 9 to $15 million. But it went on to a worldwide gross of $60.6 million. So pretty good return on their investment, I'd say. Not to mention, you know, just moving on to become one of the most beloved uh, horror movies of the 80s, right, Smoke? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I, got, I had the privilege of seeing it in the theater when it came out, and I guess I was about 13 years old. And <laughs> it was pretty gory for that time, you know, for, I don't know how they got away with some of the some of the gore in there, maybe because Cronenberg's name had clout behind it. But it debuted, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if you went and saw it on that debut weekend, but if you did, here are the other movies that played that weekend. Of the, This is the weekend of August 15th 
through the 17th, 1986. So the top 10 were number 10, Heartburn. I've never heard of that. Uh, number nine, One Crazy Summer. Number eight, Manhunter. And that opened up that weekend. Number seven, Ruthless People. Number six, Top Gun. Ironically, that we're talking about that on this particular weekend where, you know, uh, Top Gun, the sequel, whatever the hell it was called, has raked in at the box office this summer. So ironically, it was on the charts. The original was on the charts when this was out. Number five, Nothing in Common. Number four, The Karate Kid Part 2. Number three, Aliens. And the two big debuts that weekend, number two, Armed and Dangerous. That uh, <laughs> that John Candy <laughs> comedy classic. And, Eugene Levy. Yeah, yeah, him too. Yeah, I forgot about him. And number one in the big uh, in its big opening weekend, The Fly opened up to just slightly over seven million dollars, and like I said, moved on to make sixty point six million. So, uh, big weekend there. This one, once again, you know, we, we just had one with uh, when we talked about Memento, where it won uh, some Oscars. This one did too. It won one Oscar. In 1987, for Best Makeup, the two movies that it beat out that year, The Clan of the Cave Bear and Legend. Mm. So that's, uh, really, you look back on it, and you're, you're kind of surprised when you look at the categories that it probably didn't eke out one or two other ones, you know, with the, the effects and everything, you know, but uh, just some awesome classic, you know, uh, practical effects in this movie, right? I'm guessing yeah. for the time, you know, it was, it was a bit gruesome, so they probably looked the other way. Yeah. Maybe for, for some of those scenes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think also it wasn't a slasher film. <laughs> so if you were, if you had a slasher film out during this time, they were probably going to gut some, you know, no pun intended, gut some of your effects, some of your you know more gory stuff out of it because of the stigma that slasher films have. So if you had a sci-fi related one, they kind of got away with it a little bit more. Of course, this is loosely based on George Langelin's 1957 short story. And, of course, the original 1958 film both, you know, had the same title of The Fly. There were three movies that preceded this and then one sequel to this. You have The Fly from 1958, the original we just talked about, Return of the Fly in 1959, and then Curse of the Fly in 1965. And then fast forward to this, you know, remake from 1986, and then there was a sequel called The Fly 2 in 1989. This movie stars... Uh, Jeff Goldblum, of course, as as Seth Brundle, you know, who eventually turns into the, you know, human fly hybrid man, whatever. You mean uh, Brundle fly? Yeah, Brundle fly. But they originally wanted John Lithgow to play this title role or, you know, not title role, but, you know, the, the lead role. But apparently he turned it down. Then Jeff Goldblum gets it. And, uh, and for what it. I saw, because it was so gruesome. <laughs> I mean, like John Lithgow is a great actor, so I'm sure it would have been fine with him too, you know, but I do think that, uh, Jeff Goldblum brings a, a, a certain uniqueness to this character that probably he's one of the few that could pull off. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, just watching that dude act just in general, like, you know, he's kind of jumpy and twitchy. I mean, he fits a fly. Yeah. <laughs> just, just his natural way of life <laughs> fits, fits the part. Delivering yeah, each yeah. pattern or whatever yeah <laughs> on the subject of gruesomeness or whatever might as well mention about the fact that uh uh jeff goldblum wrote a letter to vincent price after goldblum was you know given the role in this movie and uh said that i hope you like it as much as i like yours and then apparently price wrote back and said uh you know it was wonderful right up to a certain point it went a little too far <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, compared to pretty much every movie Vincent Price ever made, yeah, I could... <laughs> Dif- different levels, you know, of gore and uh, grossness, you know, however you want to frame it. Yeah. But it was directed, and a lot of that reason that it was the, that movie that was the way it was is because it was directed by David Cronenberg. He would best be known for Rabid, Scanners, Videodrome, A History of Violence. Uh, what more can... I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure Cronenberg's one of your favorite directors, right, Smoke? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's got a ton of... Ton of movies, and a lot of them are are in that subgenre. Like this one is known as body horror, where you're basically the human body breaking down in some way, or shape, or form. Uh, Dead Ringers was another good one. Uh, you'd already mentioned Rabbit. I think Scanners, and of course Videodrome are all classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, some newer ones too, uh, along with the History of Violence. You said, and so yeah, and then he's even got a you know a fairly brand new one out called Crimes of the Future. He's been he's had a long illustrious career. And making movies, and again, like I mentioned too, he's probably, especially at this time, he had a lot of clout behind his name, and it, that's probably one of the reasons, again, why they got away with gore, aside from the fact that it's not a slasher movie, you know, it's a horror movie, and it's horror sci-fi, so I think that played a, a big factor at the time, and uh, then he's got some other stuff like Crash, I don't know if you've ever seen that one, where it's uh, somebody getting turned on by car crashes, mm-hmm. <laughs> by the, <laughs> the car. Uh, so yeah, he's got a lot of sexual situations play out too, as far as it being involved in the body, some way, shape, or form, whether it's in this one, you have, uh, <laughs> you know, you have the the Gina Davis larva scene. Which, you know, you have the <laughs> a lot of them are sexual in nature. You know, and then you have his like when he opens his cabinet, and he's putting some stuff in there that fell off of him, and I think that, you know, like his penis is in a jar in there. And you kind of you assume that's what it is, even though it's not necessarily. You know, if you, you see it, this thing I, sitting I there, I don't think I noticed. I don't think I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look at the med- the medicine cabinet. I think when he's, he's got those jars of all his yeah, yeah. body parts. What is he like? This is a, a, a artifacts of a bygone era or whatever he says. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's something in there that's not. Am I? I mean, it's maybe it's not supposed. I, I think it's supposed to be that. No, in Cronenberg, it was probably supposed to be that. Yeah, yeah. But it's not immediately obvious. I didn't see it the first time I saw the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's it, you're probably right. And, and you know, considering what was happening to him at that point in the movie, you know, very well. It would make sense that, you know, like his fucking ear fell off. His prick probably would have fell off too, right? So, Yeah, that would be a really, really, really sad time in the, the Brundlefly house. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did I did find it kind of interesting. Originally, he turned this movie down because uh, he was shooting a, a little film. Uh, y'all probably hadn't heard of it called uh, Total Recall. Yeah, well, no, he was, supp- he was working on Total Recall, but apparently he, he had early involvement and then he backed out of that something happened where he wasn't working on that anymore and then they came back around to him because of that because remember uh unfortunately unfortunately paul paul verhoven (laughs) ended up directing it who directed showgirls right we just talked about on crafts peace theater but uh yeah not not Um, to take anything away from total recall we all enjoy it but yeah it would have been interesting to see what david cronenberg would have done with that but yeah, he was having a scheduling conflicts, and they hired uh, Robert Bierman, and apparently they had just started filming. And I think I think what I read was something about uh, his daughter passed away. Mm, mm. Uh, so they had to shut down production for a couple months, and then uh, he came back to start filming it, and uh, his heart just wasn't in it, so he stepped away, and that's how Cronenberg uh, got uh, back in on this movie. It's still, like I said, it would have been crazy to see. I know that's kind of connected, but not crazy to see Cronenberg's version of Total Recall. Would have been something. <laughs> yeah. it, it also would have been interesting to see what this movie would have turned into without Cronenberg, right? You know, there, there's a there's a Back to the Future Part Two alternate timeline thing going here with these two movies. 
you know, if, if it had been switched the way it was supposed to be or whatever, how, how would those movies have been affected? Would Total Recall have been better or worse? Would this movie be better or worse? You know, we'll never know, but it is interesting. Judging it now, based on the scripts, I think uh, you can see Cronenberg and The Fly most more so than you can in, with his, his type of style and Total Recall. Even though there was some body horror aspect, the Total Recall, like Arnold pulling shit out of his nose, you know. The, <laughs> yeah, that little tracker or whatever that was in his the little creature thing and everything. You know, all the, there was some body, you know, horror, poly, you know, body horror thing going on there, but not as much as the fly. <laughs> no. Uh, also, another interesting tie to this one. Remember, I mentioned earlier that it was one of the production uh, companies that made this was Brooks Films. That's Mel Brooks. Mm. That's Mel Brooks' <laughs> uh, production company uh, that that made this. Apparently, they didn't. He didn't want his name attached to it because everybody would then think. Well, this is a that's a Mel Brooks movie, so you know it'd be jokey, right? So apparently, yeah, I guess they, they, he, he didn't really have the name on it. Hit on the fly, I was Yeah, <laughs> but I, yeah, I just thought I that saw, was interesting. What I saw with that was uh, apparently uh, what was it twenty twentieth Century Fox wanted them to you know work on a script. They come up with a script, they send it to twentieth Century Fox, and they hated it, uh, but they didn't really want to change it, so. Luckily, they were able to go to Mel Brooks, show him the script, have him run through it, and Brooks decided to back it. Yeah, it ended up, the screenplay ended up being done by David Cronenberg and Charles Edward Pogue. Uh, he would best be known for uh, writing Psycho 3, uh, the original Dragonheart movie, and I think he had some you know credits on the other two or three you know Dragonheart movies that they made. But yeah, it, once again, would have been interesting to see different versions, because I saw where there were some delete. I, I'd like to see this on like the Blu-ray or something like that to see the deleted scenes for this movie because apparently there were two big ones that Cronenberg had in there that when they tested the movie they they cut them out like the first test they cut out something there was supposed to be something to do with a monkey cat or something like that that yeah. that got deleted out and then I think there was supposed to be like I guess kind of an alternate ending kind of deal I actually I think I saw like a couple of alternate endings on this one before you go into alternate endings. We are a spoiler-filled podcast, so if for whatever reason you have not watched The Fly 1986, uh, go ahead and pause it at this point. Go watch it. We, I, I dare say we all definitely recommend it. And come back and listen to the rest of this, but go ahead. I'm sorry. So obviously we have the one where uh, she uh, shoots him. Then there's one apparently where her and her boss-slash-ex-boyfriend, it looks like they're just living their life together. And then there was, a, uh, I believe, another one where uh, the, the final scene is uh, Veronica's just laying in bed, uh, kind of sound asleep and like rubbing her stomach to give the impression of uh, she's going to have that baby. Yeah, there was there was something about a uh, butterfly baby. Yeah. I guess maybe that's what that is or something to do with yeah. that, right? No, no, no. Uh, uh, apparently one of them was uh, the butterfly baby. It was like a shot from the inside. And uh, you see, like, a fetus uh, coming off of, like, these, I don't know, it, it doesn't look like anything from the inside of a womb. The baby um, extends butterfly wings and just kind of flies off into a light. Interesting. Well, apparently they, they had, I guess there was, the first time they, they showed this, uh, the monkey cat sequence was cutting out. I don't even know what the hell the monkey cat, I can only imagine. What the uh, hell, a monkey cat sequence? So how he got he got spliced together. Up, up, and I, I actually saw a little bit of this on a video. Mixed a baboon and a cat, uh, and then when it comes out, uh, it was apparently aggressive, and then they had to beat it down with a pipe. Okay, so that got cut yeah. out from the first screening, and then 
the second screening, which was held in Los Angeles, that's where the butterfly baby thing got cut out after, after that screening. And then, you know, I guess then the version that we know today, but yeah, th- those things are always interesting. And I'd like to check out to see it. I'm not sure if those things are on the Blu-ray or some, I'm sure I would imagine they are. And if so, I'd, I'd like to see them, you know, but I didn't get a chance to check any of that stuff out for this viewing this time around. I'll say too, man, this is probably like the first time I've watched this movie in 30 years. It's been forever. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've always enjoyed the movie. It's just, I haven't watched it forever. So this was nice to sit down and watch it again. It was almost like, you know, seeing it for the first time again. It's been so damn long for me. Yeah. I want to say I sat down and watched it. I don't know. About two or three years ago. So the movie stars Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brundle. Uh, what would he probably be best known for for Jurassic Park, the original? Well, I guess what he was in the second one, and then uh, more recently in that newest one that just came out earlier this year. But also uh, Independence Day. I mean, tons of other stuff. But those are probably would be the the two main things. Honestly, he's kind of gotten to the point now where he's almost like a national treasure kind of face, right? You know, like everybody just loves Jeff Goldblum for being himself. Like he's so. He's such a neat guy, you know, that, like, yeah. even, even if you're not like uh huge into a lot of the movies that he's made, you probably know him from commercials and, you know, late night, uh, television appearances and all kinds of other stuff. But you know, what would be funny is if he doesn't really sound like that. Like he just made that, you know, that speech pattern in his first movie. And now he's had to go with yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's really dedicated to the, the lifestyle now. It also stars Gina Davis as Veronica Quaif. I guess that's how you say her last name. Veronica, uh, <laughs> uh, she she would best be known from uh, Thelma and Louise, Long Kiss Goodnight, A League of Their Own, of course, Beetlejuice, fifty three acting credits, which doesn't even seem like that's enough, you know. I guess because yeah. she she's been in so many big movies, you know, that like you just know who who she is and her face and everything. But like you would think at this point that she would have been in more than fifty three uh, different projects, you know? Yeah. Uh, another interesting little tidbit with this is uh, apparently her and Goldblum were dating at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like I remember that kind of like around that time period that, you know, that they were a thing. And really the only other cast member, you know, worth mentioning, other than the fact that David Cronenberg actually has a small role as the gynecologist in the movie, uh, would be John Getz as uh, Stathis Borens. He's the guy that is dating uh, Gina Davis's Veronica. Or I guess they used to date, right? It's like this weird... She She's... He's her publisher or something like that, right? So they kind of, yeah, I guess they I guess, used to be yeah. together or something like that. There's the whole thing between them. But Which he has an interesting character or story arc. You know, like you're kind of yeah. like this skeevy motherfucker at the beginning, but by the end, he's kind of one of the heroes of the of the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he would best be known for The Social Network, Blood Simple, uh, Zodiac. I mean, he has 136 acting credits over on uh, IMDb. Still active today. Most recently in... Uh, he plays Paul Trainer in the series Doom Patrol. But really, I guess that's that's about all I had, really. I mean, unless you guys had anything else you wanted to add before we get into it. Yeah, no, it was a pretty small cast. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, really just those main three. You know, everyone else is kind of ancillary there for a few minutes kind of characters. I know uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned Cronenberg uh, playing the, sir, the, uh, the doctor. Gynecologist. Yeah. Sequence or whatever, dream sequence and everything. And that, uh, that was inspired by... Him meeting Martin Scorsese, and Martin Scorsese said that Cronenberg looked like a surgeon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had the look of a surgeon basically, and so that inspired him to play the role of the doctor in that scene. Then later on, speaking of him playing great roles, remember Nightbreed, where he played uh, 
I can't remember the name of the character right now. Oh, well, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of Nightbreed in a minute. Yeah, where he played the main sort of a, uh, well, you know, again, spoiler alert right here for people that haven't seen Nightbreed. Don't <laughs> want me to say that. Here comes the spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, play the killer in the mask. Yeah. I can't remember his name and his character name right now. On the, but he did a great. I mean, he's great at acting too. He could do that just as well as the director. He's uh he's been in like thirty something, forty something uh, different projects as an actor. So yeah. It's time to refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand with a parade of items to tempt your taste. Hot buttered popcorn, golden good and fresh from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich and full of flavor, ice cream and other good things to eat, plus ice cold Coca-Cola. So bright, so bracing, with a taste and tingle all its own. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So as we often do, I went over to Audible and I just typed in The Fly to see what would pop up. And of course, right out the gates, we get The Fly by Catherine Mansfield. That one is, uh, well, it's, it must be a very fucking brief. It's only 13 minutes long, so I don't, even know, I don't even know what that is. That must be a pamphlet. They're reading a pamphlet. I don't know what's... <laughs> all you hear is <laughs> and the, yeah for 10 minutes and then the last like right at the end the fly and then and then three <laughs> minutes of credits <laughs> lord of the flies by william golding that one's a little over six and a half hours long and then we have what is this will it fly how to test your next business idea so you don't waste your time and money what the hell <laughs> by pat flynn uh that one's almost six and a half hours long and it's uh, an audible exclusive so yeah, t- tons of other random things, but yeah, like nothing really directly attached to the fly itself that I can see right offhand. Unless maybe you can dig a little harder, you might be able to find something. But that just goes to show there's a little bit of something for everybody on, over on Audible. So if any of that interests you or you just want to f- go find something else, uh, download your free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audiobook. So I'm going to switch on over to IMDb click on plot summary and see what pops up. And here we go. We got the one sentence, easy one, which reads a brilliant, but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man fly hybrid. After one of his, after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. Easy enough, right? Let's go to, let's go to a couple here. Cause there's like at least six, I think on here. Uh, let's go to a couple that are a little longer. This one was uh, put up by Mark Thompson on IMDb. Seth Brundle, a brilliant but eccentric scientist attempts to woo investigative journalist Veronica Quaif by offering her a scoop on his latest research in the field of matter transportation, which against all the expectations of the scientific establishment have proved successful up to a point. Brundle thinks he has ironed out the last problem when he successfully transports a living creature, but when he attempts to teleport himself, a fly enters one of the transmission booths and Brundle finds he is a changed man. This science gone mad film is the source of the quotable quote, be afraid, be very afraid. Which, you know, when she said that in the movie, like, I didn't really think, I, I guess I'd, maybe I'd forgot that that was where that quote was from. You know, like, <laughs> I, I just kind of figured it was just part of the lexicon at that point, but apparently that's where it came from. Yeah, I remember watching it this time around, and I knew right before she said it that she was going to say it, but I didn't know that it came from this movie. You know, yeah, that, that saying, that quote. Yeah, I guess I just kind of forgot about it over the years. Uh, one more. This one was uh, posted by Daniel Williamson. 
Seth Brundle, a research is, oh, I'm sorry. Seth Brundle is a research scientist employed by Bartok Sciences, which I don't remember ever them directly. Maybe at some point they said that. I don't remember. Who has invented telepods, two matter transmission pods that teleport any object through space from one telepod to the other telepod. But it isn't until Seth meets journalist Veronica Quaife, who inspires Seth to correct the system, that Seth achieves successful teleportation. But something goes horribly wrong when Seth uses himself as a guinea pig in a matter transmission experiment as he teleports himself, unaware his genes have been fused with a housefly that was trapped in the telepod with him. Seth now finds himself slowly transforming into a terrifying mutant creature known as Brundlefly, fighting in a fierce battle as his mutated genes begins to take over. That's that's pretty much it, right? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, we'll go through some of the ins and outs as far as like the ending and everything like that. But that you get the point, dude. This whole science experiment goes wrong. He starts to kind of slowly turn into a man fly, and then you know the way it ends. We'll talk about that. So really, I, I think the best place to start will be right at the beginning of the movie, where Veronica goes with him back to his house very fucking easily after the interview, right? <laughs> like, there's almost no convincing whatsoever on his part. Like, come, just come back to my place. Okay, next thing you know, like, she's in the car with him, and there she is in his house. Um, it was 1986, right? <laughs> yeah, true, true. I guess, you know, maybe, maybe people were a little bit more trusting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. We can blame 1985 for this. Also, like, when he finally does get her back, did he not legitimately real like realize she was a reporter? Like at first, I'm like he must be fucking with her, but no, I don't think he was fucking with her. Like he, did, like he just didn't catch that part when she said that. She said something like, "Yeah, I got a few more interviews to do," and then he's just like, you know, he just waves it off and still continues to hit on her and gets her to come back. But then, like right after, like she finds out this information, all of a sudden, like he doesn't know she's a reporter. No, no, I think it's more of a, uh, you know, we did the interview. All right, now this is just me and you talking. So he, he just thinks everything is off the record after he tells her (laughs) after the interview. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've been sitting like, what the fuck? Like she made it pretty clear what she is. And now all of a sudden he's, he's shown her this and now, Oh no, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know you were a reporter kind of thing. (laughs) What? Yeah. But right after that, like once he does show her, you know, this, and they kind of start getting into a relationship or whatever. And then. Uh, he decides to, you know, instead of just uh, transporting inanimate objects, he decides to put something in there, and he puts a baboon in. Fucking hell! What he did to that baboon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that looks that looked pretty rough. Yeah, <laughs> not good. <laughs> also, where the fuck is he getting all these baboons? So like, <laughs> he just. <laughs> Or do you go to Baboons R Us? Well, I mean, it was, it was the 80s, so, I mean, you could get baboons on the street corner, <laughs> yeah. sure. When you need a baboon, shit, five minutes, I'll get you a baboon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they said that, that that baboon was not trained, right? not that well trained anyways. <laughs> Apparently, it ripped the door off of the uh, the pod. Because when it was there for the scene, when he's in the pod, the flashing lights scared it. And he just ripped the door off to get out of there. And that, <laughs> that Goldblum, because he's like six foot four or whatever. Uh, you know, he could, he pretty much had to get to dominate that baboon. <laughs> <laughs> I can only but, imagine the scene of Jeff Goldblum dominating a baboon on the set. <laughs> Apparently the baboon respected Jeff Goldblum's being bigger, <laughs> you know, big tall, that tall or whatever. <laughs> he, and they said uh, that they didn't really have any problems after that, I guess. <laughs> he gained that baboon's respect that day. <laughs> only Jeff Goldblum, man. <laughs> That baboon thought, 
you, sir, are the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it just me, too? Like, you know, the scene where, you know, he, he transports himself and then the fly, you know, what ends up happening to him, right? But, like, to me, it almost looked like the fly wasn't in there. Like, was it just a weird Yeah, I think thing? it was a weird can You know, I thought that, too. This time around watching it, I'm like, it looks like the fly's on the outside. But then yeah. when it showed it, again, you see his underneath part with his legs uh-huh. on the inside. Okay. It just it, yeah, it was a weird like, angle. Yeah. So right after that, he he, uh, I guess he gets, for lack of a better phrasing of it, he gets the powers of a fly or whatever. Like he he feels rejuvenated, like he's all strong and you know whatever. And then just he randomly breaks out into a gymnastic scene. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, that was. I also like that too that Veronica, you know, Gina Davis's character is just sitting over in the shadows just watching him. But she was pretty <laughs> impressed with it though. She was impressed. Yeah, well, yeah you, you know, would be if kind of smile on the face like, oh, that's not necessarily maybe thinking of why he was able yeah, to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just all of a sudden this guy wakes up in the middle of the night and just goes in there into full Batman mode and starts, you know, cutting cartwheels <laughs> and and whatever the other terms are for, like, the, you know, doing the stuff on the bar. Like, it's straight up like gymnastics, you know. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's at the Olympics. And she's just and she's just sitting over in the corner just, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was like a pipe. Like, he was doing that, that yeah. pipe with a rip right out of the wall. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was made for apparently, apparently, they were impressed with uh, Never Too Young to Die. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt that that was the... the <laughs> The, inspiration the inspiration for anything to do with this movie little did we know that david cronenberg was a huge fan of never too young to die i gotta get gymnastics in this movie it's the only way to do it well he wanted gene simmons to play that role but yeah you know, just... stargrove <laughs> speaking of uh just you know what the fuck the arm wrestling scene a little bit later on, you know, now, now he's kind of gone off the rails and he goes out to a bar and, uh, basically I'll arm wrestle this dude. And then I get my prize is I get to take the chick home. Right. I think that was basically the, <laughs> what he was doing it for. <laughs> what was the crazier part the the arm break or the fact that she went with him? Yeah. Well, I mean, who's to question it? Like this dude just broke a motherfucker's <laughs> arm. <laughs> well, I gotta go. A deal's a deal. <laughs> I gotta go with him. He's some kind of bodybuilder? <laughs> yeah. That's the first comment that comes to mind when you see something like this play out in front of you. You must be a bodybuilder. All right, I'll fuck you. I mean, look at, look at him. He's like, yeah, he's six foot four string bean kind of like. I mean, he's not he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger over here. No, no. It's the first thing that came to mind. He's a bodybuilder. I can yeah. break his arm off. <laughs> that, once again, though, you know, to go with a lot of the things later, especially in the later half of the movie, it's pretty gruesome, though. You know, like arm wrestling yeah. snap, and then you see the dude's bone pop out of his wrist. You're like, oh fuck! And that inspiration yeah. came from over the top. Cronenberg yeah. <laughs> was yeah, a, a real like fan that, of that, other movies of the time, apparently. That that whole thing, like, like didn't even make any sense to me. You know, like I've seen, like at least on YouTube, enough people have arm wrestling uh, bouts, and it's usually like the. Uh, the two bones in the forearm that give up, not uh, one of the bones halfway down. Now there was there was an, an element to that too when he's do, they're doing the arm wrestling thing, and you can see like the the goo or whatever that's like coming out of his hand. I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Maybe that made it snap. Could be, you know, because that that's like the corrosive shit, right? I would assume. 
You would assume, yeah. So yeah, maybe that's similar to the same stuff he threw up. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that had something to do with why it did it. You know, why it happened the way it happened. I, I don't know. Yeah. But that just, I just thought yeah, about that. that come from. It didn't so, come from the guys on. I mean, it wasn't blood. It wasn't well, no, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, but they make it a point to so that you can see it. You know, like when he's he's, yeah. he's got he's squeezing the guy's hand, you can see the that you know this. that cloudy goo come on. I didn't even think about that. Either, though. I, I didn't think about it until like I, I've always wondered, like, oh, what is that? Why is it? Why is it doing that? But I didn't even think about it being the goo until oh. you mentioned it here. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it, it is probably is supposed to be that coming out of his pores or whatever that it can come yeah. out of his pores, not just his mouth. I, I mean, I guess it could have been there from earlier. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, there are a lot of subtle. There are a lot of subtle, like fly type things too going on, like where he's constantly eating like a candy bar and stuff like that, like the sugar. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the sugar, coffee, yeah, like 10 yeah, scoops of sugar, yeah. coffee. They, they don't, I mean, well, yeah, granted, it's kind of heavy-handed in a way, like showing you, look, this dude's eating candy bar, he's putting a ton of sugar in his coffee, flies like sugar, all that kind of stuff. But, like, it's not It's not so much that they're pointing it out, like, you know, except for the coffee thing, right? They, they don't really, why are you eating so many candy bars? You know, like, you know, a lot of people would write that line in, right? Like, it would be there somewhere, like... Oh, I don't know. I just got this uh, insatiable craving, you know, but they don't, they don't mention it at all. It's just kind of this thing where he's just pulling a candy bar out and eating it all the time. So, you know, it's and even the same with the coffee. I mean, he kept pushing, you know, like she kept asking and, you know, like making eye contact and he just wasn't acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. But I just mean yeah. in that, in that one, that's the only time where somebody's like, Hey, you want some coffee with that sugar? You know, like the, you know, you can see yeah. that line coming a mile away, but like the rest of the movie, like, all these subtle things happen until it's very obvious what's happening to him, you know, to show that he's kind of turning into a fly, the hair on his back. Right. You know, kind mm -hmm. of like the, the little texture of the, I guess the hairs on the, like a, on a fly, you know, anytime you see like a super magnified picture of a fly, you can see those little hairs or whatever those things are called on the back. We mentioned it earlier that he starts calling himself Brundle fly. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. He's, he's, uh, even in this state, he's still, uh, well, at first he's kind of like acting monstrous about it, but then he kind of has a good sense of humor about it after a little while, right? Yeah. After he's able to walk on the ceiling and do all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's where I think that's right there where it kind of takes a turn for his attitude toward it. You know, it's like, yeah. At first it's just like, oh my God, what have I done? Or, you know, at first he's kind of fully accepting it because he feels different. He feels powerful, I guess. And then eventually he's like, oh, you know, when his, well, it's when his fingernails start falling off, right? Or yeah. he's like, oh, fuck, I'm dying. What's wrong with me? You know, and then eventually he just, like, like you said, he's walking on the ceiling and he kind of accepts it. So maybe they're showing like all the stages of grief play out here, you know, as this transformation <laughs> is taking place. Yep. And then like in the true scientist form that he is, he started seeing it that way again, analyzing it and like, you know, <laughs> Veronica I I did read somewhere, you know, like, like th there were like seven or eight different, uh, like body prosthetics, uh, like looks throughout the entire movie were, uh, you know, they kind of pushed like the the idea of his body kind of becoming a cocoon, uh, leading into him becoming the fly. Yeah, and I mean, it really kind of ends up that way if you think about it. You know, like because his body looks a certain way. Yeah, it gets worse and worse as it goes along, but then eventually, once you get towards the end, where he's having kind of that final moment with Veronica, and she basically pulls his jaw off, right? And then all yeah. of a sudden, it's like, well, fuck it. The ruse is over now. It's like his whole fly body comes out of the cocoon, so to speak, out of his skin. So, yeah, there are elements of what you just said in that, you know, for sure. Even though it's not just full on, here's a, he's in a larva cocoon kind of thing, the yeah. way you think of it. And then all of a sudden, he, you know, but uh, 
a little further on when Veronica uh, realizes or finds out, I, I guess I, you should say, that she's pregnant. And then there's this whole thing where, like, I guess she's kind of on the fence as to whether she should get an abortion or not. And then she has this fucked up dream where, like, yeah. you know, she's basically having the abortion. And then, wait a minute, there's something else in there. And then she spits out a, like, a larva worm or something, right? <laughs> it looks like it's about three foot tall. Yeah. Think you'd, you think you'd feel that in there because this thing is massive. It's as long as your leg, ma'am. By the way, you started showing really early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that that scene right there kind of kind of caught me at first because I was like, damn, th- this all kind of, this, this, this escalated quickly. Like, she goes from just finding out she's pregnant to all of a sudden, like, all right, time to go get the abortion, and there's already this thing in there. And then, like, when they when they pull that out and like she, they're holding it like here's your baby but it's the big larva worm you know that's when I'm like oh this this has got to be a dream right and then she wakes up you know <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't seem right that was a very memorable scene when I saw it in the theater yeah <laughs> I'm like oh my what the fuck is going on <laughs> ah mommy <laughs> I'm thirteen year old me yeah especially like <laughs> when you're younger but also once again this is 1986 right so like. It's not like you've seen this kind of thing in a lot of movies or ever, right, up to this point. So, yeah, this was at the time period, you know, 35 years ago, whatever, you know, give or take. That that would have been kind of like, whoa, you know. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, we've seen a lot of shit like that over the years since. But at that time, not a lot like this, right? Yeah. And, you know, like, uh, there are a lot of parallels, you know, between like this, you know, and like the, you know, the AIDS epidemic that was going on at the time. You know, with, uh, you know, being promiscuous and, you know, sleeping with people you don't necessarily, you know, know that well. And having to live with the consequences uh, kind of thing. Live with the consequences, the, you know, the decay and so on and so forth. But yeah, because there was even a scene where he says, I think it's when she comes to visit him and he's got the canes. And he was, that was another interesting scene of him walking kind of like a fly or whatever, but where he says... Don't come close. Don't come too close because I don't know if it's contagious or not. You know, that's kind of the thing. You know, that was going around then too. Nobody knew exactly at the beginning, of course, exactly what would cause it to you to get it. Yeah, and that's, of- that 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 just reminded me around that same time period, or like it might even have been that scene where he's on the canes or whatever. That's where you start to see that kind of like little tick that he's got, like where he's, oh, yeah. he's talking yeah. and then he twitches his head, you know, and stuff like that. Something we haven't dived into here, you know, as we're going along here is is how good of a job Jeff Goldblum did in this movie. As this, oh, you know, like I mean, we talked about it a little earlier, but like, like he was, don't get me wrong, he was good in Jurassic Park and you know other movies that he's been in. But God, for me, like this is this is prime Goldblum. Mm. Yeah, probably I would say it's, I mean, arguably some people might argue, but I mean I would say it's his best performance. Yeah, yeah, this, even in a lot of other movies that he's in, he's not like he's not necessarily the main guy in a lot of movies. You know, like he's you know? one of those guys that kind of stands out in the roles that he's given, but he's Let's face it, he's rarely the leading man, right? So this one, he's front and center. I mean, Gina Davis does a great job in it, too. But he's the reason why this movie, you know, it gels together perfectly because of the way he portrays this. You know, this 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 man that's not only, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a genius has figured this thing out that, like, could change the world. It goes terribly wrong. And then, you know, just going through, like I said, those stages of grief, you know, that uh, he's kind of put himself in, you know, and it's just, it, he just does a great job. I mean, what more can you say? It's a testament to 
both Goldblum in this performance and the writing by Cronenberg and maybe even the writing by the guy, Plow, Plow whatever the guy that... Uh, Pogue. And then, then Cronenberg's revision of it to where it was the way the why it was the way it was I guess like you you feel sympathy for what what he's going through in the movie you know I think that character development and him as an actor made you feel something whereas if it could have been some other guy that wasn't that talented you wouldn't have that same connection I guess to you know you wouldn't feel that same way about what was happening to him necessarily as you do in this movie because he's you know he's a good guy and he goes through that transformation and stuff where he's got the scene where he's pushing Gina Davis away and he's got going to get the prostitute and all that because Gina Davis didn't want to get in the pod and yeah. And see him doing all that, but you know it's not him. You know, it's, no, it's you know, like he's playing it. It's this insect thing that's taking over his brain. It's uh, making him do those things. And then, you know, just see the transformation to the end. And then also knowing that, you know, she's pregnant with his baby and all that. And by, by the way, that plays well into the second fly, which I thought was a decent sequel. It was set up perfectly because she's still pregnant at the end of the first fly. So and then, he, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much of that was planned at all <laughs> or any of it was planned as far as a. With a sequel in mind, I doubt it. Not from Cronenberg, I'm sure. But. Now, apparently in the years since, there has been talk of Cronenberg doing a sequel. I think it's recently, like, as say, like the last eight to ten years, he had talked about it. Uh, but obviously, you know, nothing has come of it. But I, I saw where Jeff Goldblum has come out and said that he would be interesting in, in doing a sequel, obviously knowing that his character dies in the end. So it would, you know, they'd have to come up with something creative to get him involved in it, right? But... Yeah, there has been talk of him doing it, you know, doing another one. So that that would be interesting if it ever comes to fruition. I don't, I doubt it, but you never know, right? Yeah, I hope it's a long time before they remake because you know they're going to remake everything at some point. But I hope it's a long time before they go and remake this because to me, this one still it still holds up. Well, to be fair to that idea, you know, we have talked about this before. Like this was a remake of one, yeah. before. Yeah, but know, I'm just although saying, it's like, different, and they're pretty they're gonna. But I hate that. I kind of hate that when they take they don't take enough time between. Well, I, I don't like remakes of remakes. You know, you keep just going, you know, just doing the same stuff over and over again. But some, so there have been some that are not as old as this movie that have been remade oh, a yeah. second time. Yeah. Well, uh, the one I always think of when we say that is Cabin Fever, right? <laughs> what was yeah. that? Within fifteen years, it was remade. <laughs> that was totally unnecessary. But and oh, yeah. there's tons of those. I mean, we could go on and on about that. But like. I just mean it in the context of like, look, technically, you know, like, let's not completely shit on remakes because this was a remake. Just like we yeah. talked about with the thing being like, you know, a lot of people's favorite horror movie ever made. That's a remake. You know, I know, I know they're different, but it is a remake. So there, there is something there, to be said for it. And there are a few movies, I think, well, from, from my perspective, or from a lot of people's perspective, I think there are a few remakes that you might like the remake, but a lot, in a lot of people's eyes, it's not better than the original, mm-hmm. you know, but this is one where as much as I love the Vincent Price movie, it is what it is, it's a classic horror film from its time in the 50s. But they definitely did something, I think, better. They went above and beyond what the original movie was. And I think for a sequel, for a remake to do that, that's when that's the ones I truly love. And the thing, John Carpenter's The Thing did the same thing. <laughs> and I think I think what you're getting to, to, to sharpen the point, as long as you, and this is my opinion, as long as you make a remake, and but still make it something fresh, it doesn't have to be. We don't want a shot-for-shot shot remake. So if you're going to touch this again, let's think of some fresh take on the same themes, the same story, right? Don't just make this movie again. That's unnecessary. So not yeah. not, not to get too far onto a remake, ta- you know, tangent because we have talked about that before. But but yeah, what do you guys think of the ending? I mean, it's fucking dour as hell, right? Like, and really, there was no other way this could end, right? 
Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, he, he was for me. It was he was either going to attack or, you know, like he he wanted a mercy shot. Oh yeah, he even like as he's full yeah. on fly, like and then trans like what well, he transported himself again. So, Lord knows what how fur- much further that had sent him down the mutation hole, right? But at the very end, when uh, Gina De- or you know Veronica Gina Davis's character has the shotgun, he he kind of takes his claw or whatever, <laughs> brings it up to his head. You know, she's like, oh, hell no, I don't want to do this. And then she just has to do it, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's fucking dark. Yeah. (laughs) It's sad, but I mean, for me, this was, uh, exactly, you know, where you would want this movie to end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I was saying before, even though that's, you know, that wasn't Jeff Goldblum in the the fly thing. I mean, the fly thing was animatronic. You still had all that pathos or whatever from, from his performance of the role before. So that was really like impactful when she, you know, had to do that. And yeah. you felt once again, how, how else could it have ended? You know, like really there was, you know, a lot of other ways they could have went with it probably would have been a little bit more cheesy. This wasn't going to end with sunshine and lollipops. Right. So right. unfortunately yeah. not, not everything's going to end that way. And sometimes it's going to be dark and this was definitely dark. So, and, and I do like too, that they pretty much ended it right there. Yeah. Like, I, I think it would have been the impact of everything that the climax would have been taken away if it had been like, you know, nine months later. And then she she's there. She's holding a baby and like you said, the butterfly baby or, or whatever the fuck. Right. Like some <laughs> corny thing with a fly baby or something. I think that would have taken away from this movie like a full <laughs> star for me. You know, so like I'm glad that they just said that, that that's it. Like that's dark as hell. She had she was the one that had to put him down, even though she's carrying his baby. The end credits, you know. Well, you know, you know, the sequel that they were talking about, you know, that Cronenberg might want to do, you know, they, they find the fly, the little fly flying around. He's like, help me, you know, with Jeff Goldblum's head like there was in the original movie. <laughs> then they back into the thing and they reconstitute him with Jeff Goldblum's body. No? Weird. Yes. I, I guess you must have had the, the, the script treatment over there in the West Wing of the library this whole time. And <laughs> thankfully, you, you were able to, delay, you know, uh, uh, Send that information out to the masses. Um, that was Mel Brooks' version of the school. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that was his contribution. Now we're getting back to Mel Brooks. It all makes sense. Now, the one, one funny thing that I did see about uh, the original uh, short story of this is, uh, do y'all know where it had popped up first? Yeah, in Playboy. In Playboy. Now, you know, as funny <laughs> as that is, that's not unusual of the time. There was a time where, like, and you see this a lot, like, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, especially, where, uh, you know, these science fiction writers, that was one of the only places, not the only, but one of the biggest places they could get their shit published was in Playboy. So I guess there was a time where people actually read the read Playboy read for the, the articles. articles. <laughs> or claim they did. I mean, th- <laughs> we've done a number of these movies where it's like, yeah, this, this was based on a short story that was uh, in Penthouse. Or in Playboy or something like what? You know, that doesn't make sense now, but at that time, I guess it was just, you know, it was easy for them to get it there. I don't know. I guess Playboy, Penthouse, and some of these other ones, uh, maybe not Penthouse so much, but like some of those other other type of magazines, I guess they were just looking to fill the pages. So, all right, yeah, you can put your five, your four or five page story in here. Who cares? You know, (laughs) it is interesting though. Now, I would imagine that, Smoke, you might know a little bit more. Was that original movie based on that story or was that just complete coincidence because they were only like a year apart i assume it was right? yeah 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 it was it was based i guess loosely on that because how i don't remember how long that they said the short story was it's real short really short i really don't i didn't check to see how short it was but 
never read it. I've never read. It. I do know that the original movie was based somewhat on that. I don't know to what extent because I haven't read the short story, so I don't know how how close it was to it. I saw enough when we were when I was doing the you know research for this one that they changed it a lot for this. Like this story almost has nothing in common with that, you know, other than the fly, you know, <laughs> but yeah. so it definitely has Cronenberg's hands all over it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. as far as the rewrite and how it, how it played out and everything. All right. So like we said earlier, Donnie is, is, is not here with us today, but he, we did get to talk to him briefly, you know, to get his star rating and his connections from the crypt. So I'll go ahead and toss to that now. All right. So, uh, Donnie, since uh, you're not on this episode, <laughs> we'll, g- <laughs> we'll give you an opportunity now since, you know, we, we've got a chance to talk to you right now. So we'll, we'll give you the chance to, oh. to do your uh, connections from the crypt and give us your thoughts and star rating on the fly. Connections from the crypt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, Leslie Carlson was in our previous episode, uh, Black Christmas, uh, and that's so that's pretty much the only uh, actually that is the only uh, connection on the cast side. So on the crew side, we've got uh, some makeup effects crew uh, members from uh, Meatballs, uh, nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> that was our previous. Uh, I believe that was uh, Colt Corner from. Um, yeah, that was the beginning of Camp Spook Show. Yeah. Camp Spook Show, and also uh, some of the makeup effects crew from It from uh, 2017. That pretty much uh, wraps it up for the connections. All right, so give us your thoughts on the movie. Obviously, you you just recently watched it, so give us your thoughts and then your star rating for it. Yeah, this man, I I loved loved this movie as a kid. You know, I I probably watched it in the you know for the first time in the. Uh, late 80s it's kind of timeless for me like last summer we did summer of the wolf where we did uh you know the wolf transformation Mm -hmm. this is a different kind of transformation because it's not it it's not as fast acting it's very like slow and methodical and it's uh i think that you know really like works i mean obviously it works in its favor man i fucking love this movie i do it (laughs) i would like to marry it yeah, I mean, I do. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of like a like a star rating that would, you know, accurately reflect my uh, just my thoughts on it. I'm gonna go four and a quarter. Practical effects, it's just, it's even impressive today. You know, um, you know what they were, what they were able to do. Everything from the story to you know uh, Jeff Goldblum's you know performance. Every, every everything was just pretty much you know just right on point. I, and you know, it's so so different from the from the original you know it's, that was kind of more of a kind of a campy little you know b b movie but to me this movie's timeless i i really enjoy it i enjoy it i loved it then i i still i still love it now uh so yeah four and a quarter that's where i'm at all right so there you go there's that so uh will i guess we'll we'll toss to you first to see what your uh your thoughts and your star rating are for it i remember seeing it like in the 80s and and this movie stuck with me you know, this entire time, you know, we, we've pretty much at this point, like wax poetic about this, this movie, uh, um, the effects, uh, the acting, I mean, everything was amazing in this. Again, this is probably, this is up there for me as far as like, you know, one of my favorite kind of like sci-fi horror movies. So for me, I'm probably going to go, 
I think I'm going to go four and a half. I love this movie that much. All right, Smoke, what do you say? Yeah, it's as I as I mentioned it, I'd seen it in the theater when it first came out, and then on video numerous times. Bought the VHS back in the day, DVD now the Blu-ray, so I, like I've had it on just about every format other than Betamax or Laser. So uh, I've seen it quite a few times, and it never it never gets old. Every time I watch it, it just there's also there's other things you see too, like the uh, penis in the medicine cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a little there's this movie has a lot to of the replayability to it. You know? The cool practical effects, Goldblum and Gina Davis and everybody else's performance in the movie too. Uh, so, I mean, I could watch this quite often and do, and I don't know what that number is, but uh, uh, from everything from the script to Cronenberg's direction to, like, as I said, all the performances in the movie, the soundtrack by Howard Shore, it's everything in this movie to recommend it to somebody who has never seen it before. So, uh, yeah, I can't go any lower than a four on it. Yeah, I, I echo you. I'm going to go uh, an even four. Uh, and that's just because of kind of where it sits on my scale. I love this movie. Like I said, it's been too long. Yeah, th- this is one that I'll probably watch again sooner rather than It won't be 30 years. You know, <laughs> 25, 30 years until I watch it again this time around. And uh, I've never seen The Fly, too. I'd like to go check that out. Yeah, I recommend that one, too. I recommend that one. That's, that's kind of fairly underrated, I think. It's not, a, it's not on the same level as this one, but... It is definitely worth checking out. And like I said, the way that it, this movie has Gina Davis being pregnant at the end of it plays into the second one. So. Now, that movie, The Fly 2, was actually directed by the guy that did the special effects, you know, that won the Oscar for the, uh, the, um, the creature effects in this movie, and that was Chris Wallace. So I, I'd like to check that one out. It would be interesting. And, 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 and since we didn't mention Chris Wallace, how about his effects in this movie, right? Like just off the charts. Yeah. I mean, you can see the progression of things from, I'm not saying that Chris Wallace is better than necessarily uh, Dick Smith or, or who's the guy that did the effects for like American World in London. I can't think of his name right off the top of my, oh, right yeah. off the top right now. But those, you know, those effects, you can see this logical progression of the time of effects to this point with animatronics and creature stuff and all the, just the, the way that it developed. I can see the, that progression from the early eighties to this point. Yeah. And it's before, right before we get into, uh, to, you know, heavy handed, the digital effects there. That was Rick Baker that you were talking about. Yeah. Rick Marvel. Baker. Yeah. I'm not saying that, his, that, you know, Chris Wallace is necessarily better at constructing. I'm saying there's a number of years that had progressed between the time American Wealth came out and this one. You can see that progression of effects work. All right. So we already got, uh, uh Donnie's Crip connections uh, a little while ago when we had that little, I played that little segment with him. So, Will, I'm going to uh, toss it to you. Kill. 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 All right, well, looking at my little calculator here, let's see, 17 plus 32, carry the 5, 1. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those ones that makes your job easy, right? <laughs> It's funny, too, because it's a movie where, like you said, one. There's only one person that you see die in this movie. But there's a lot of gore in the movie. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of gore, a lot of body horror, a lot of stuff that, you know, Smoke will talk about here in just a second with your gore score that's probably going to crank it up a little bit, but only one person dies. So it's it's one of those weird anomaly type things that happens sometimes. <laughs> you you would have thought that uh, the ex-boyfriend uh, was going to be uh, number two. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're thinking like right out the gates, like, oh, yeah, this dude, this fool's getting it at some point in this movie, but no. Nope. <laughs> Other than we didn't talk about his hand and foot being dissolved by a fly. Yeah. 
man fly spit. <laughs> uh. But anyways, yeah, that's a natural, uh, uh, tr you know, transformation, if you will. Gore score. Yeah, there's plenty of juicy stuff in this as we talked about. So uh, <laughs> thanks to uh, Chris Wallace and uh, all the and his other crew that he had on this movie. At, uh, but as you said, there wasn't that much deaths in the movie. But most of the gore came from, aside from the vomit, you know, his, his vomit. Although, and it didn't ever show him eating it. <laughs> That's no. one way they didn't go. You see, uh, I can't remember her ex-boyfriend, the guy, you know, his name or whatever that was. Uh, Stathis. Yeah. What a name, that, right? Motherfucker's name is Stathis. Stathis? Yeah. <laughs> Stathis. But uh, when she, when he's looking at the video, you know, he sees him because he's describing what he's about to do. And, well, and he, he does a thing and then you hear the slurping, you know. <laughs> so it's like, oh. It's got to yeah. be discussed. You know, your mind kind of puts it together. Like, oh, it's got to be pretty damn gross. And so they don't ever show that part, thankfully. <laughs> but uh, most of the gore comes from Jeff Goldblum's body falling apart, really. Yeah. Ear fall off, pulling off that fingernail was like anytime there's fingernail violence, so to speak, you feel that shit, like a, yeah. like eyeball violence. You feel. Uh, so when he's pulling that, you you know, because everybody's had their thumbnail or their nail pushed back somehow or other. You've had you've had an injury of some sort to, to a fingernail, and you know how bad it hurts. Yeah. So when somebody pulls their entire fingernail off, then yeah. Uh, and the vomit, as mentioned, uh, that was made of milk, honey, and eggs. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. He had to keep it in his mouth. Ugh. It would have been fine with the milk and the honey, but the but the raw egg. Part, yeah, yeah. No. What the? F I guess that add to the the uh, the extra gooiness of it, right? It, yeah. So uh, that combined with the there's the compound fracture we talked about with the arm wrestling match. That was pretty pretty gnarly. Now what was the oh the uh, larva birth scene that too yeah. was just, the, the exploding <laughs> baboon. The baboon, yes, the, the inside out baboon. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a lot of gore in this, and I'll start by as I usually do with these. If it's an older movie. Or a movie that Chas Balin has uh, given a gore score for, which, of course, anybody who is just tuning in for the first time, the gore score here is inspired by Chas Balin's gore score. Uh, he did rate The Fly. Uh, I'll tell you what his rate. He rated it a 10 as far as the gore score. But, you know, I'll back it down a little bit. I usually don't deviate too much from this. But uh, I think, you know, in light of things that we've had on the show and in light of a bunch of other movies that have come out since, uh, I'm just going to back it down a little bit go to 9. I think it's well-deserved. With that, you know, that, like I said, the fingernail scene, all these scenes that you kind of feel that violence and then you, and then the, the vomiting scene is just totally over the top. But, you know, and I saw that in the theater too. It was like a little, little queasy factor in there. Anytime, a lot of times, anytime somebody's vomiting in a movie or in real life, you know, you have this like, you know, this lurch thing of, <laughs> and, you know, you, that's what, and you have that when Jeff Goldblum's doing that in the movie and the few scenes he's doing it in the one when he's got the donut, right? When he first, he doesn't tell Gina Davis anything. He just grabs the donut. And he's like, Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that first scene was more queasy to me when I saw it in the theater. I remember then the later scenes because you didn't you didn't know it was coming. Yeah, he just goes, <laughs> 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 then so then whenever he dissolves the guy's arm and leg off, yeah, that was gory too. But it was it was it was expected by that point. You knew something was gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty grimy and gory. So yeah, nine I think is gonna go with. It, it kind of go back to, to that to that last scene right before you know they have to kill him. You know, just the fact that his his skin just falls off, like it just it, it just rots right off of his body. 
Like I yeah. said, it was almost like, like you said, the cocoon. It was just, all right, well, yeah. don't need that anymore. You know, <laughs> he just becomes like a man fly at that point. But So there you go. Uh, I'll, I'll give out the consensus now. I'll tell you what the usual aggregates gave it. So all of ours together, the consensus score was 4.19. So uh, just slightly higher than Memento uh, last week. So we're on a little bit of a roll here as far as these high-ranking movies, if you count in like when we did The Evil Dead, you know, just a few weeks back. So we, we've got some... Uh, We've had some big ones here lately, so some higher scores that are probably going to skew the Spook Show Awards a little bit when we do that here uh, in the next couple of weeks. The usual aggregates, you know, IMDb and so on, they gave this 7.6 out of 10 stars. It got a meta score, which, you know, meta, uh, Metacritic gives a 0 to 100 scale, 79. And Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter, certified fresh, 93%. And the audience score was uh, 83%, so... A little lower than the critic scores, but still very high uh, for the Rotten Tomatoes scale. So uh, sounds like just like us, this movie has uh, high praise. And it was praised even back then. You know, obviously it won an Oscar, you know, for best makeup. But just for a movie like this to even be considered for any Oscars is, you know, fairly rare year to year, right? So uh, either way, yeah. And I think it also ended up being the, the highest grossing film. I think maybe even to this day, I could be wrong of David Cronenberg's career. I'm not sure if any of his other movies have made quite as much money as this one did, although a lot of his movies have been critically acclaimed. But this one might still be the, the highest grossing one that he ever had. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to put the fly to rest. And then next week, we're going to have our interview with Austin Trunick, the second time we've had Austin on, not counting the, you know, his, his reoccurring uh, Canon Chronicles segment every time we have a Canon Fodder episode. But uh, all the way back in like episode 90-something, so this was like back in January, February, uh, I think it was back in January, we talked to Austin about his first book, The Canon Film Guide Volume 1. So this time around, we promised him back then, at some point in the future, we'd have him on to talk about Volume 2, because at that point it hadn't come out. I think it finally came out in May. So now uh, the calendar has allowed us to finally have another sit-down interview with Austin and talk about Volume 2 of The Canon Film Guide, which he only covers two years of Canon film's catalog in that in that book 1985 to 1987 and considering that i think this book is like double the size of the first book it's a thick volume of uh canon films uh information so we'll take a deep dive into that ask him about that talk about it uh but the next movie review that we'll have is the week after next that will come out on september 26 for episode 127 it will be smoke's choice and he picked the witch from 2015 i believe it was right smoke Oh, 2016. Uh, 2016. Yeah, either way. Uh, around around that time period. came out in 2015, but it hit theaters over here in 2016, something like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen that before, uh, but it's been probably since, you know, not within a year or so after it came out. So it's been a while. So I'm looking forward to watching that again. Will, have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Yeah. So as per usual, Will, uh, you know, this will be a uh, new ground for him to cover. And it'll be interesting to see what uh, Will and Donnie have to say about it, since I'm pretty sure Donnie said he hadn't seen it either. So uh, so next week we have the next Austin Trunick interview. He'll talk about the Canon Film Guide Volume 2. Then the week after that we have The Witch. And then right after that we begin the month of October with the second annual Spook Show Awards. So stay tuned to everything that we do here on the podcast. Uh, please subscribe everywhere you can over on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, you know, Apple, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to us, uh, be sure to uh, leave us a good, you know, positive five-star review that helps, uh, get the word out to the masses and, 
You don't want to miss anything over on patreon.com slash Show, Crafter Peace Theaters, over on our YouTube channel. We have uh, Grindhouse Gutter. So lots of stuff going on, and uh, we're really starting to ramp up all the cool things that we're doing uh, leading us into the month of October. It's kind of our Super Bowl, as we like to say. So uh, I guess that's it, guys. So for Donnie, who couldn't be here, Will, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Thank you.